All right, church, let's see how your memory is. He is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, indeed. Ah, yes, he most definitely is risen. And it has been a joy celebrating Easter this morning with you. From our children discovering all the treasures of the Easter eggs outside um, to sharing and hearing the conversations that have happened over our breakfast this morning to just the celebration and the worship that we've been able to offer this morning to God. It has been an incredible morning, and it is great to be here with you, church. It is great to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Um, There is kind of a buzz in the air, and I think it's partly because of Easter. Um, I think there's also an energy that's carrying over from our last weekend together. Um, I have heard so many excellent experiences, so many good so many, so many examples of good feedback um, from our retreat last weekend and how much we enjoyed being together as a church. Um, and one common thing that keeps creeping up from that conversation is when I ask people what they loved about it, they say, well, it's kind of hard to describe, but I think it's that we were really being the church together. We were doing life together the way that God intends and practicing what it means to be a church, not just talking about it. We were doing it. And I think that's so significant. I wholeheartedly agree with it because this is not merely a place or a time for us to talk about being filled with Jesus or filled with his spirit or living as his disciples. This is a place for us to do it. Because in practicing here, in living here, that's how we learn how to live out there by practicing what it means to be in community and practicing what it means to share God's love with one another here, we learn how to share God's love in every aspect of our lives. And now the challenge for us as a leadership coming off of that retreat is this. How do we bring back some of those practices and some of that vision into our life as a congregation? How do we share, and moreover, how do we share that with those who weren't able to be there? Much of that weekend was about us expanding beyond the boundaries that we naturally place in our relationships and bringing a greater community of God together without divisions. So how do we avoid creating another division of those who were there and those who weren't? Um, One of the best ways, I think, is for us to enable practices of deeper, transformative relationship into our church. And so we're going to take a couple of moments to do that today. And I'm going to ask Monique... Uh, to come on up and help me with that, actually. We're going we're gonna to show you an easy but very powerful tool that we got familiar with last weekend called checking in. Okay? I'm sure you've all been there. Somebody asks you how you are and you say, okay, and as a matter of courtesy, you ask them how they are and they say, and they say tired. <laughs> Maybe. Monique's more honest, so she says tired. Most of us say fine. And... Information gets exchanged, presence is somewhat acknowledged, but in that there is no journey of depth in relationship. There's no connection, really. And one of the powerful principles of community that we experienced this weekend was the principle that that, that the depth of relationship, the intimacy that we crave, comes through mutual self-disclosure. What that means is, is, is I share a little bit of myself and you share a little bit of yourself. We both draw closer to each other, but we draw closer to God as well. 
Um, and, and it doesn't matter what kind of relationship we're talking about, from, from our relationship with God to our marriage with our spouse or, or in our family or even the person that we're talking to in the checkout line, mutual self-disclosure, opening ourselves up a little bit to one another and sharing pieces of ourself, it allows me to inject the fullness of God into my relationship. And one way I do that is by creating a space that is safe to share parts of myself. Checking in is a way to do that, to get past that fine answer and really get to what I'm actually doing in my life and, and to find language to articulate feelings that are safe but are also meaningful. And we used this acronym last week, the, the SACHET acronym, to help us out, to have the vocabulary of sad, angry, scared, happy, excited, or tender. We have new ways to express that answer to one another of how are you doing and deepen the connection of God's spirit between us. And so Monique and I are going to give you a quick demonstration of what that looks like. Okay? So here we go. Okay. See, now that wasn't so bad, was it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're like, oh my goodness, no, <laughs> don't make me do that. But we wanted to give you an example so that when we ask you to do this, because we're going to put it into practice, you know what it looks like. So we're going to ask you to take just a couple of seconds. Or actually, it's probably going to take more than a couple of seconds. probably going to take like two, three minutes. But it doesn't have to be drawn out. I just want you to use this model, and I want you to check in with somebody near to you. Here's the key, though. If you were with us last weekend on the retreat, I would like you to intentionally find somebody that was not there around you and check in with them so that you can help them kind of, and, and be the first person, go ahead and volunteer, you know, man or woman up like that, and, and go ahead and volunteer and just give, give, give a chance for them to warm up to it so that they can share and not feel so discouraged or so anxious about that, okay? So if we can, yeah, if we can do it up here in front of all of you, you can do it in the middle of when everybody else is, ah, 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 you know, nobody's going to hear what you're saying, right? Except that person, Okay. All right, so here we go. On your mark, get set. Stand up and go do it. Go. I had a really good plan for how to start it. I didn't really have a good plan for how to wind it up, you know? But I will say, without a doubt, that is one of the things that I love the most about this church, I think, is that when I get you guys talking with each other, you go for it. You go for it, right? I mean, there was, there, was, there was maybe two seconds of looking at me awkwardly going like, oh, you really want us to do this? Yeah, I do. And then it was like, oh, okay. You know, like, I, I love that. Okay. And you may be saying, okay, well, this is all well and good, Travis, but it's Easter. What does that have to do with the resurrection? I mean, that, that's, that's great and all. I mean, we, we've checked in with each other. We, we feel closer to one another. That's great. But what does that have to do with the resurrection? And, and here's what I think that that has to do with celebrating the resurrection. And I think this is critical, okay? What we did just now is a powerful, tangible celebration of the resurrection. Because when the resurrection actually does what it's supposed to do, is when it is not just an idea. When it's not just something that happened a long time ago. When the resurrection is actually allowed to move into my life. When it's actually allowed to change who I am. 
when it starts coming out in my practices and my thoughts and my beliefs and it actually becomes real resurrection is something that we the resurrection of jesus is something that we live in not just something that we know and that what you just saw right now is a tangible reminder of the resurrection because in the resurrection you and i have been brought into the new life of jesus christ it's not just his resurrection it's his resurrection that opens up new life for everybody anyone who would come to him would participate in that new life and so it's not just an idea it is a way of being it is a way of living it is something that is supposed to be immersed that we are supposed to be immersed in and it transforms us and that's why this is so much a part of the resurrection in our reading this morning peter's writing to a church that's under pressure and their identity is being assaulted and their motives are being questioned and they are being given over to the, what is going to be the beginnings of a full persecution in time um, and he's talking about aggravation, but that aggravation is going to turn to suffering, and that suffering is going to turn to persecution. We know that historically. And while our situation is not the same as theirs, I do think as we are looking to define who we are and where we're called to go as a church, we need to heed the word that Peter uses in his opening prayer because it frames his entire intent and message. Praise be to God, who through the resurrection of Jesus has given us a new birth into a hope and a treasure of new life. And I love what the message says. A new future and the future is now. The future is now. What is that hope? What is that treasure? It is the fact that the resurrection of Jesus has now been set free to run loose in your life. It's, it's been set free free to empower you it's been set free to change you to overcome and redeem inside of you to give you fullness of life not just someday then but to give you fullness of life in eternity now i know i've said this before but but we need the resurrection to get a little closer to us so often we think of of the resurrection as something that happened a long time ago and yes this is this is all based on the fact that historically, factually, Jesus was put to death on a cross, was in the tomb for three days, and overcame death and rose again. But that's not where it stays. That's just the beginning. And resurrection for us is not something that's just going to happen way out someday after we die at some un, you know, determined point in the future that we don't know. As long as resurrection stays way back there and way up there, it has absolutely no bearing on who I am. And what Peter is saying here is, no, 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 you don't understand. The resurrection of Jesus has changed everything for you right now, right here. Because the life that you now live is a resurrected life empowered by the same power that lifted Jesus from the grave and restored him to life. That is the spirit that now lives in you and me. The resurrection has to come near to us. And that's why been, we've been working through this, this, this idea of the story 
throughout the year as a congregation, this looking at the entire theme of the Bible, looking at the thematic elements and moving from the very, very beginning to the very, very end of Scripture is not just so we can know our Bible better. It is so that as we see God's story, we're able to find our story in the middle of it. Because his story speaks to us. His story changes us. His resurrection is our invitation to resurrection. That's why it's there. And I believe a a critical piece of understanding all of that, of, of allowing the past and the future to encompass our present as well, is, is being allowed to move past what we have been saved from and into what we have been saved into. Here's what I mean by that, okay? I don't want to downplay the cross in any way. That's not the point, okay? The beauty of the gospel, though, is that it is twofold. The cross and the resurrection need each other. And neither is complete without the other. I need Jesus' ordeal on Friday to kill the cancer of the sin that is in my soul. But I need the resurrection of Easter Sunday to raise me into the new life of Jesus. Otherwise, the cross is an unfulfilled thing. It's a tragedy that has no reckoning. It is an emptying without a filling. And likewise, if the resurrection were to occur without everything that happened on the cross, well, that redemption wouldn't actually reach to me, now would it? It would just be God proving that his son was, de- was indeed righteous and was killed for the wrong reasons. But it wouldn't have the redemptive power that the cross has, right? And so these two things need each other. I can't just have the cross without having the resurrection. I can't have the death without the rising. But here's the thing I want us to consider as a church, or or just even consider personally in our lives. How often do we become too centered on distancing ourselves from sin and too little on embracing and moving into the hope and treasure of new life with Jesus Christ? Do you understand what I mean by that? A lot of times I think we boil down the Christian life to sin management. Because Jesus has died for you, don't do that. That is an incomplete Christianity. That is an incomplete gospel. It's only half of it. And I want us to I want us to be careful as I want us to be careful as people that follow Jesus of not turning into the thing that he preached against when he said, you know. You're so concerned about, you know, make sure you do this, make sure you don't do that, make sure, you know. And what you haven't done is you haven't moved into a new relationship with my father and I that then can empower you to live in a new and meaningful and purposeful way. One of my wife's favorite movies, and especially one of her favorite soundtracks, especially for cleaning, is the movie Chocolate. Has anybody ever seen this movie? Okay, a lot of people have seen this movie, a lot of people like this movie. Okay, and and the... This movie is an interesting movie, okay? And, and I'm, I'm going to recommend it with reservations because you can get in it, 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 again, this is Hollywood trying to do philosophy and they have no problem getting you out into the deep weeds and then just leaving you there, okay? So I'm not, you know, if you're going to go fire this thing up on Netflix, I mean, just 
keep an open, you know, keep your mind in critical thinking mode. Don't just like, oh yes, of course, you know, everything is true. But, but the whole, one of the great quotes in that movie toward the end at this climactic ending is from a young priest during his Easter morning homily. And he says this, we must not just measure our goodness. And in my interpretation, that would be our Christ-likeness, not whether we're good people or not, but whether we are really in line with Jesus. We must not measure this merely by what we don't do, what we deny ourselves, what we resist, or what we exclude. We must also define ourselves and measure ourselves by what we embrace, what we create, and who we include. And while at first that may just seem kind of like a, a politically correct, you know, kind of postmodern version of Christianity, I really want you to think on the reality that it highlights for a second. Everything about who Jesus is and everything about what he does is about opening a new way to relationship with God and inviting a broken humanity to be fully redeemed in their relationship with God. And a resurrection shows us that he actually has the power and the authority to do that. And so as Christians, the gospel of Jesus for us is simply this. God is more than happy to forgive our sin in what Jesus did on the cross. In fact, it's kind of a load off his mind. That may be a far cry from the way we view forgiveness because I think we, we think it's a great burden and it was so difficult that Jesus had to die for it. But I don't think that's the full picture. To obtain forgiveness of sin was costly. The desire to forgive our sin, that is the most natural outpouring of love that is God. That was easy. The desire for God to forgive our sin, oh, that was so easy. He was so ready. You know, I'm so ready. And, and, and he says, I'm so ready to get that out of the way so that we can move forward into new life together. Because for him, like, you've got to understand, for God, the forgiveness of sin is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of relationship. It's the start of the resurrected life. And if all we do is view Christianity as my sins have been forgiven, we are stopping halfway. We are actually ending at the beginning. And Jesus calls us into something so much greater, so much fuller, so much more than that. He calls us into a new life. Jesus is eager to cast your sin to the end of the earth and get it out of the picture because he's intent on replacing it with his spirit and calling you and I into the design that he's always had for us. To be saved into the hope and the treasure of living out his resurrection. This is abundant life. And like God, we need to be less intent on the sin that we've been saved from and more intent on the resurrection that we are called to embody. And I believe that when we make that our focus, the resistance of sin will naturally occur. Because I will become so filled with the Spirit of God that sin won't have a place in me anymore. That's the way John viewed it. In 1 John, he says, you know, the one, the, one who, the one who is born again of God does not sin. And you go, wait, I'm sorry, did you just say what I think you just said? Not sinning. I'm doing that all the time, okay? Like, have I really been born of God? John's not saying that to make us, like, question whether we're actually saved or something because we struggle with sin. He's saying, look... If you are constantly rooted in pervasive sin, 
you are not in the resurrected life. But if you are in the resurrected life, the good news is, is you are no longer in pervasive sin. <laughs> and these little trips and these stumbles that you have and these, these, these things that you have, these are temporary. These are things that God is overcoming in you. These are things that God is resurrecting in you. These are things that God is redeeming in you as you are moving into the new life that he desires for you. Because you are filled with his spirit, and the more that you are filled with his spirit, the less and less sin has a place in your life. And I believe that that's what we need to be focused on. And that's why the resurrection is so powerful for us. And that's the full news of Jesus' resurrection. It doesn't just save you from sin and death. It finally brings you into a life. And the most tangible outpouring of that life is all around you. Sitting in the seats next to you. Making funny faces. I saw that. Just kidding. One of the passages that we got really, really familiar this past weekend was Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. And I want to read this for you real quick. This prayer of Paul uses some of the same terms as Peter, the prayer that we would have our eyes opened to the reality of the fullness of the hope and the treasure that we've been given. It says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And in his incomparably great power for those, for those of us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty arm, which exerted, he exerted in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, far above all power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God put everything under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, key on this, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, think about this. Where is the fullness of Jesus' resurrection realized, says Paul? It's best displayed in his people. Verses 22 through 23, Paul states the power of the resurrection in Jesus has become the source and the sustenance for the church. Why? Because the church is the fullest, most complete, and most powerful display of the gospel and the resurrection story in the world. I mean, think about it. If we were to go around the room and continue to share pieces of ourselves, how much power of resurrection would you see in people's lives? Marriage is resurrected. Health resurrected. Hopelessness resurrected. Sinfulness resurrected into life. Think about your resurrection story. Think about what Jesus has been resurrecting in you. And think about all of the different stories that are so different and yet so alike about how Jesus has brought every single one of us out of something and into something new. And now look around you and, t and say, is this not the fullest display of Jesus' resurrection power? His body. His family. And again, I want us to realize those are not metaphors. He doesn't say you're like his body. He doesn't say you're like his family. He says you 
are. You are. You are his body. You are the way his spirit moves. You are the way he gets his work done. Right? You are his family. You are the way he draws people in. You are the way he brings those who do not belong and helps them belong. Right? You are the fullest display of his love and power, church. You are the resurrection on display. And that's why it's so important that we do these kind of things, that we live in community, that we live together. Because the only way that we're going to display his family and his body in its fullness is if we actually are those things together. If we do it, not just talk about it, do it, be it, right? Perhaps you've noticed our new masterpiece hanging up to the right this morning. I want to thank, first off, I want to thank David for coming in yesterday and helping getting that up. That was awesome. I appreciate it. You want to know what makes that, you want to know what makes that really amazing is not that it's the most, um, not that it's the most complex, not that it's the most um, artistic expression of the gospel ever. What makes it awesome is that it doesn't have one author. It doesn't have one set of hands that made it. I don't know, I mean, I don't know where you, I don't know where your brush strokes are on there, but everybody, there's, you know, there's over a hundred hands that painted that. And everybody's got their piece in there. It's a mosaic, is what it is. It's where all the little pieces come together and create something bigger, something more powerful, something more meaningful than they'd ever be by themselves. And that's what the church is. That's what the body and the family of Christ is, is that each of us has these little pieces of God's grace and vision, and by themselves they may not seem like much, but when they get hooked together into God's grace and the God's vision, when they become empowered by his resurrection living in all of us, they become a masterpiece. Each brushstroke, like each life, is part of something bigger. This redemptive masterpiece that God is creating when your life and my life come together in the world. Into this big, beautiful picture that displays the fact that Jesus' resurrection is on the loose and is out in the world and is doing something right now in you, in me, in the world around us. That's the power of Easter. That's the story of the gospel. And that's the hope that each of you are invited into. The treasure that you hold that's constant despite the uncertainties of life. That God is creating a masterpiece out of his church and that there's always room for another person to pick up a brush and add their life to the masterpiece. I invite you to do that today. Perhaps you are not connected with a church today and is... And is uh, Steve said earlier, we want to be your church home. We would like that very, very, very much. For you to join us as we explore the fullness of who Jesus is calling us to be and where he wants us to go. Come join us. Perhaps you've never embraced the resurrection of Jesus um, and let it take your sin away and draw you into the hope and the treasure of a new life with him. For thousands of years, Christians on Easter Sunday, 
have followed the example of Jesus and embraced the resurrection and surrendered their lives to his lordship through the act of baptism. The washing away of an old life and the raising of a new one. Participating in the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ. And today is a, a very, um, very special day for my family because we're going to have a baptism today. My daughter is going to participate in that today. She's going to take on Christ in baptism. And I'm, I'm very, very excited about that, that she's going to be taking her place in the body and the family of Jesus. And I invite you to come as well. There is room for you to belong to Christ and to be empowered by his fullness and be restored in his image today. I invite you to come and be baptized too. What a better way to acknowledge his resurrection than to let his resurrection come into you and to let his spirit empower you. Whatever it is you do, I pray that you will embrace the fullness of the resurrection today. The hope that he has called you in a new life and the treasure that he has given you in the body and the family of his church. Let's stand and let's worship our God now.